All summer long, we've been working at meeting with Jesus, trusting that when a person meets with Jesus, Jesus changes that person. This Sunday will be the last in this series of messages, and then we'll be on to uh, something good next week, and then on into the fall. We'll follow a new path together, and I'm looking forward to that. But this morning, we'll close our time really thinking about meeting with Jesus. On Sunday night last week, I went to bed not sure what I should share this week. I woke up Monday very early, long before the sun rose. My phone was buzzing because my friend who is working at at bringing uh, her friends out of Afghanistan had called me. And, And some of you have heard me talk about this a little bit. But we spoke and that situation, after I got off the phone with her, uh, and after I heard her voice and her desperation to take her friends out, that went into my heart and I felt sad in a way I hadn't for a long time. Have some of you experienced sadness over what's happening there? I felt really sad. Uh, Then I looked at the rest of my day for Monday. I, I planned my days out in the early morning and I saw a meeting with someone who's very sick, a friend who's very sick, and then another meeting with someone from this church who is beloved, who's not doing well. And I asked God to help me for those meetings. And you know, I thought of in that moment how my friends are often the ones who build me up when I'm really weighed down. Do some of you have friends like that? And I thought of two friends, both of whom who have moved during the pandemic. And then a third and I felt sad. And, and so what I did is I thought, before I decide what to preach about, I should bring these feelings to Jesus in prayer. I pray in the morning uh, there at my table, always with a fresh brewed cup of coffee. <laughs> Does anyone else have that pattern? It helps. If you want to get regular with prayer, become addicted to caffeine and connect the two. <laughs> I, I started to drink my coffee, and then I thought of the people in this church also who are right now carrying grief. And I thought, this is the right way to end our time together in this series. It is to show us how we can meet with Jesus in our sadness and grief. Rather than thinking that one thing is our faith and our relationship with Jesus and sadness and grief is something different. It's not true. Uh, Jesus wants us to come to him with our grief. And and this message, uh, this picture of what it looks like to meet with him in grief is a message that Everyone needs, you, you need it. Many of you need it this morning, is that true? And if it's not you, then it's someone you know who needs it. And so as we consider what it looks like to meet Jesus in grief, uh, some of you are gonna listen this morning for how you are meant to walk through this time. And that's my prayer for you. I prayed for you all on Monday morning, that you would hear this as Jesus' invitation for you. If you're doing okay, then you're going to listen to this message for your friend who is not doing okay. And you're going to use what I share to help them. Agreed? Okay. First thing we'll learn is that Jesus invites us to bring our grief to him. He invites us. He doesn't wait for us to get things together. He says, you come here. He gives us that invitation. The second thing we'll learn is that he is uniquely capable of helping us. In in all the world, 
Jesus alone can help us in the way that we need to be helped. That's the second thing we'll see. And then lastly, very practically, we'll see how to exchange our burdens for Jesus' companionship. Okay? We'll begin with the invitation. And that comes uh, in Jesus' words, which are recorded in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Okay, listen to what Jesus says. Come to me, all you that are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. If you are tired because life has been heavy, you have been weighed down by the struggles, then Jesus' word to you right now this morning is come to me. The only qualification for receiving Jesus' invitation is to be struggling with something. That's it. No one who is having a hard time is excluded. If things are tough for you, you are invited. Now, this is a very relevant invitation, more now maybe than at any other time we've known. At least that's true for me because things have not been easy. Life has been tough. People are tired and everyone needs rest in their souls. In my 25 years of pastoral work, I have never seen it ever with more clarity than I see it now. Weariness and heavy burdens, grief, loss, and sadness. The whole world is tired. Do you agree? Our country is tired. Yes? Our communities are tired, and many of us, most of us right now are weary. Folks are struggling. If you are not, again, let me say this, if you are doing well, thank God for that. And, and, and some of us are doing well. Thank God for that. And now, if that's you, you bear a responsibility for receiving the word of Jesus as instruction for how you will be there for the many people who are not doing well. God means to build us up as disciples, not just for our own sake ever, but always so that we become his instrument of blessing around us. But, but for those of us who are having a hard time, listen now, maybe it's regret from the past. Maybe it's worry in the present, or uncertainty about the future that's getting you down. Uh, maybe for you, like it was for me this week, it's the plight of those refugees in Afghanistan and imagining the inhumanity heartbreaking. Or maybe the families first in Louisiana and then in our own area who have lost everything due to the floods. Many, many people who've lost lives and loved ones in the most unexpected and horrendous way businesses, homes in this area lost. Maybe someone you love has been stricken by illness. Has anyone here heard in this last week of, of friends who are suddenly stricken with COVID, for instance, or facing cancer diagnosis? Both, both in new ways have come to me this week. Uh, Alzheimer's. Uh, our bodies breaking down in ways that betray us and put the people around us, our loved ones, in the most difficult places. Uh, maybe for you, friends that you depended on moved away or your family is facing st specific challenges, divisions, separation, divorce. Jesus invites every person who is burdened, everyone. And that's the only qualification for receiving his invitation to come to him with 
their burdens and their challenges. Just as you are with whatever misery that you have been fighting, he wants you to come to him. And listen now, and this is why I am not in the slightest bit pessimistic or hopeless, because he promises to give you rest when you come to him. And here, make this personal for a moment let whatever the specific burdens you are carrying come to mind. Let them come to mind and and into your heart. I know you want to push them away, but let them come. I know someone is thinking right now, well, compared to other people, what I have to go through is small, so I shouldn't feel bad at all. Nonsense. Whatever the worst thing you are facing is, let that come, because that is a part of Jesus' invitation to you. Maybe you think, I don't have faith in Jesus. I came along because this friend invited me. Okay, fine. He still invites you. He doesn't say, if you've got faith, then come. If you've got burdens, then come. Have you ever, have you ever brought your troubles to a friend and then instead of it helping, it made it worse? Yes or no? If that friend is near you, <laughs> wait. Right, sometimes you say, here's what I'm facing. And that friend changes the subject immediately because those struggles you mentioned make that friend anxious, right? Or sometimes you say, is it okay with you if I share what's going on? They say, of course. You start telling your struggles and then the next thing you know, they're unloading on you all of their struggles like it's a competition, they're gonna win. <laughs> right? Or, or, or they give you some cliche advice and you feel worse. Because it's as if they're saying to you, you're not supposed to feel that way. Here's the reason not to. And now, in addition to all the struggles you bore into that relationship, now you feel guilty for not feeling better like you're supposed to. And I know of this because I've talked with folks who've gone through it, and I myself have faced it many times. Worst of all is when you're carrying some kind of grief or burden, and you share it, and that other person exhibits an astounding level of insensitivity to what you're going through because they just don't get it. Has that happened to anyone here? I am so grateful for the life that I have. I really am. I'm so thankful. There have been some times in my life where it was hard to be anything but bitter and hurt. That's me. And some of you have that as well. You can have, have faith and live through times like that. It was 21, 22 years ago. I was in the worst place in my life. Uh, I was living through the end of a marriage and a divorce with very young children. And for me, every day, every single morning and every single night, the pain of not being able to see my little ones was way too much for me to manage. And the only person who knows what that's like is someone who's been separated from their little children. Some of you know that. Oh, it was so hard. And there were friends most of my friends had no idea at all, none, what that was like. And so when I tried to share that pain and grief, it made it worse often. And so I had to carry that alone. The worst of all was when a friend would complain to me about how annoying it was to get woken up early in the morning by his child. Oof. And, and, and listen, it sounds now like I'm piling an awful lot of blame on these friends. <laughs> To be honest, you, you can't empathize with someone when you can't empathize, right? It's outside of your ability to do. And so no blame there. 
but it shines a light on the second thing that I want to share with you this morning, which is that Jesus is uniquely qualified to receive us in our struggles, okay? Just to review, the first thing I'm giving you this morning is that Jesus invites you to come with your struggles. This second idea is incredibly important, and it is that Jesus is uniquely qualified and all the world to receive those who are weary and carrying heavy burdens. And this, because of a theological fact that Christians believe, which is right at the center of our faith, it's theology time. <laughs> I, I, thought, I thought you were going to say, amen. <laughs> but people who are super into theological words don't shout amen in sermons, they just take notes. So, <laughs> theology time. Let's talk about the doctrine of the incarnation. Incarnation, yes. Okay, here it is. I'm going to give this to you as simply as I can. This is at the very heart of what Christians believe. Jesus is fully divine. Christians believe that. And Jesus is fully human. Jesus uh, Jesus is not apparently human, but really secretly all the way God. And he is not uh, apparently divine, but really secretly all the way human. In fact, the doctrine of the incarnation, which comes from the scriptures, teaches us that he is both without confusion or mixture, but also without separation or division. In Jesus Christ, the eternal son of God, two natures, human and divine, are united in one person. And, And in this way... He is completely and totally and entirely unique. And there are not other religions which have similar doctrines. They may seem so. Some people have compared uh, this particular understanding to Greek understandings of the gods. Very, very different at its heart. God and man completely together and with us is what the doctrine of the incarnation teaches us. And now, listen, there are two practical implications from that doctrine for every person who is weary and heavy burdened. Not, not ideas that fit in the academic classroom, but in your seat where you're sitting right now. And here they are. Jesus' divinity means that he has all the power necessary to help you. Jesus' humanity means he has all the experience necessary to help you, both at the same time. Okay, let's spend some time, first of all, with Jesus' divinity. Listen to these claims. Jesus is the exact image of God. He is the one in whom the fullness of the deity was pleased to dwell bodily. Jesus is the word of God who was with God at the beginning and was God and has come into being to dwell among us. Anyone who has seen Jesus has seen the Father because Jesus and the Father are are one. Jesus is called Emmanuel, God with us, because in Christ, God has come to be with us. All of these are claims from the Bible. Jesus has all the power which God has. That's what this implies. And so, here are the practical implications. Some of the burdens we bear, which are too heavy for us, none of them are too heavy for Jesus, because none of them are too heavy for God. I think back to the time I described where I was carrying such heavy grief. It was too much for me. It was not too much for Jesus because Jesus has all the power which God has. That is true for me and it is true for you wherever you are. 
Jesus' divinity means he has enough power to help. Now, let's spend some time on Jesus' humanity. According to the Bible, Jesus does not need to imagine what your struggles are like because he knows what they're like. He has been through it. Stay with me here. Jesus knows from experience what it is like to be let down by friends. He lived through that. He knows what betrayal feels like. He knows what it's like to be misunderstood by family members. He knows the heartbreak of losing a loved one to death. Jesus knows what it's like to be terrified by what's ahead, to be accused and rejected and denied by the very people he's come to try and help. He knows all of this not from a distance or because he's used his mind to imagine what that's like, but rather he knows it from the inside since he lived a fully human life. Here are the implications for Jesus from Jesus' humanity. It means that he is uniquely positioned right now to offer help to you where you struggle. Here, listen to this description. It's one of only many in the New Testament that make this plain. This is from Hebrews 4, verse 15. Take this to heart. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who in every respect has been tested as we are yet without sin. That's a description of Jesus who, unlike those friends, is able to relate in every way and to, look again what it says, sympathize with our weaknesses because he knows what it's like to be a real human being. You're saying right now, well, he doesn't know. He can't know what it's like to be me. Yes, he can and he does. You're saying, oh, I'm such a mess and he had everything together. He can't possibly know. Yes, he does know. It says so here and it's true. Jesus was without sin. It means he never stumbled and went away from God's path, but he knows every step of the road that anyone who's weary has to walk, and he's able, therefore, to sympathize. Now, that word in Greek is a compound word. It's comprised of the the prefix sun, which means with, and then the word pathos, which means feeling. To sympathize means literally to feel with. It's different than the way we use that word. You might say, oh, I feel sympathy when you feel bad for someone since they're having such a hard time. That's not what the word means here. Here, to sympathize means to be in the same place as that person is emotionally. No distance between where they are in their heart and where you are in your heart because you relate so deeply that you are completely with them in their struggles. The one who sympathizes suffers with, alongside, and the same as the person who is struggling. Now, please think of yourself again. Jesus can and wants to do that with and for you. And he's able to because... Notice the phrase again, he, is, he has been tested as we are. And here it says, in every respect, there is no trial or test that comes with struggles that is foreign to Jesus from experience. Listen again, if you are being tested right now with loneliness, and that can be one of the hardest things to feel when you're having a hard time, 
Jesus knows that feeling too. He knows what it's like to be abandoned and all alone. And that means he can feel that feeling with you. Sympathize. He can feel it with you. If you know the experience of despair and the desire to just give up already, Jesus knows that feeling also. If you think he can't have known that, just read the Gospels and the description of what he went through in the Garden of Gethsemane. He knows that feeling so he can feel it with you when you feel it. If you know what it's like to feel outraged because you're being mistreated unjustly, Again, he knows that from experience and he can feel it with you. Grief because of loss, frustration because of being misunderstood, hopeless because of what's ahead, sadness because of people around you are letting you down. Jesus knows every one of these feelings. He can relate and feel these feelings with us. And all of that means that we ourselves now are invited to go to him. And when we do, we can be we can be absolutely certain that we will be received by someone who is able to help. Look at how the author of Hebrews goes on to explain that. This is verse 16. Here's the advice for you. Let us therefore approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Can I tell you that on Monday morning as I was having this feeling of sadness break on me and then was directed toward Jesus in prayer and, and, and these scriptures were brought to mind for me. Listen, none of the circumstances that were making me sad changed in that day, but my heart was strengthened and that day was a wonderful day for me. Even as it had tears and struggle in it, it was completely changed because in my time of need, I found help at the throne of grace, which I'm invited to go to not timidly, or wondering if I'll be received, but with boldness. Again, not because of me, but because the one who sits on that throne, who can and chooses to sympathize with me in my weakness, because he's been tested in every way, he cannot wait for me to shake up out of this sadness and come to him with all of that grief and bring it to him. And I did, and I stand strong and tall because of it. And now I want to share it with you. How do we go? How do we go to this throne to receive help? and mercy in our time of need. That's the third thing I mean to show you this morning. How do we go to Jesus with our burdens to receive his companionship? Come back to Matthew 11 with me. Uh, my, my guess is the author of Hebrews knew this saying of Jesus, where Jesus says, you come to me with your burdens, I'll give you rest. And, and the author of Hebrews wanted to use what was learned there with the folks that would be reading the letter that was written uh, later on. Uh, look at verse 29, and here's what Jesus says to those who are invited and choose to come to him. Verse 29. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. So at the throne of grace, the grace and, and the throne that you're invited to, we are all offered an exchange. Now, let me be careful here. We're not told that you come to Jesus and all of your troubles go away and now you can go off and be comfortable and happy from now on. Even if that's what we wish for, the truth is that would not be the best thing for us. It wouldn't. It also wouldn't be the best thing for the world around. The best thing for us is to accept the reality of this invitation, which is to give 
our burdens in exchange for something else which Jesus will give to us uh, to hold on to instead. And it's here in this phrase where he says, take my yoke upon you. That's what we're given in exchange for our burdens. And listen now, that phrase, which may be foreign to you, it's essentially Jesus' way of telling us how he will bring you and me along with him as students. That's what this figure stands for here. So that every step you take through life will no longer be taken by yourself, but rather with him. When two animals are joined together at the shoulders for work, It's the yoke that binds them so that their labor is shared between the two of them. That's what this image meant back then, and and the folks surely were more familiar with it then. But Jesus' invitation here is to let go of and lay down our burdens so that we can be bound to him, so that we can walk through the hard work of life together from now on, not as equals, but as teacher with student. Do you see that this is what the invitation is? Before I continue, I have to have more sense that you do. Yes. 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 And, and, and I, listen, I, I have no interest at all in just talking, but I do have interest in setting before you that which God can use to help you, right? So the invitation is, listen, don't run away from the challenges. Maybe give up on trying to share them with friends who can't relate but instead gather them together and bring them to Jesus. And then when you come to him, his promise is rest for your soul. And the way to get there is to give the burdens to him and receive from him, listen, this is beautiful, his commitment to be bound to you for every step that you have to walk from now on as long as you are willing to be connected to him as teacher and student. Are you willing to do that? If you are, then you can receive his promise. And when you receive his promise, listen now, life will still have challenges in it. That's important to be honest about. But they will no longer be challenges that we have to work at alone. But instead, we have the companion who sits on the throne of glory to offer us grace and help in our time of need. So how does the exchange take place? Here, two steps for, for these two movements, okay? I'm gonna show you how to give your burdens, two steps, and how to receive Jesus' yoke, his companionship, two steps. And if you will employ your will to, to, to this end, I suspect you will discover the reality of Jesus' promise in your own life. And it is not especially hard to do. And here it is. The first step to give your burdens is to tell Jesus what you feel sincerely and without holding back, explain your feelings when you're in distress. Uh, It might sound simple, right? You're thinking, that's it? That's all he's got? Jeez, I heard this guy had some wisdom. Listen, (laughs) this may sound simple, but I promise you it's not. And I know this because as a pastor for these 25 years, one of the things that I've seen which keeps people from a real encounter with Jesus more than almost anything else is an inability or an unwillingness to accept what's really happening inside of our hearts. And this is why. It can be very hard to know what you're actually feeling when you're in distress. Have you ever had that experience? You're freaking out and someone's like, what's going on? I don't even know. Sometimes you will want to suppress 
your true feelings, you don't want to feel them. They don't match the image that you've got of yourself. You feel jealous when a friend succeeds, but you're not supposed to feel that, right? Or you feel angry at their success and that doesn't match who you wish you were. And so what do you do? Those are not the right feelings. So you pretend you don't have them. You hide them and you are actually really good at this because you started learning how to do this when you were very little. You were three years old and you were on the playground and that other child you didn't know came and stole your toy and you were furious and then you saw an acorn and you picked it up and you hurled it at your enemy and hit him right in the forehead and he started to cry and he dropped the toy and you hustled over there and picked it up and then your mom said, hey, you shouldn't have done that and then she comes over and she grabs you and puts you right in front of this this enemy of yours who's crying and says to you, Tell him you are what? Sorry. You don't feel sorry. (laughs) But your mom's telling you you're supposed to pretend you're sorry. You feel victorious. You feel triumphant. You feel thankful that God supplied that acorn. But your mom teaches you indirectly that you have to pretend you feel the opposite of what you feel. And so what do you do? You say, I'm sorry. And you're learning already that there's a whole host of feelings that you're not supposed to feel and you've learned to pretend. And I'm telling you, that gets transferred over into your relationship with God for sure. But the only way for you to approach Jesus on that throne is honestly. Jesus won't deal with us in our fantasy worlds. He just won't. He doesn't want you to present a phony image of who you really are. He wants you, just as you are. He loves you just as you are, with all those feelings that you're not supposed to feel. He knows all about them. He still invites you. Come, come to me, nonetheless. Please, come. I want you to come. He he is eagerly awaiting your approach. The first thing for you to unburden yourself is to let yourself feel whatever you really feel. If you feel like you are sinking to the bottom of the sea, tell Jesus. If you feel like you've forgotten what happiness is, say that to him. If you feel abandoned by God, forsaken, forgotten, explain that directly to him. If you feel like running away from God and just wishing that he would leave you alone, tell him all of those things. These are all, by the way, prayers in the Psalms. We have biblical warrant for doing just this. The first thing for you to become unburdened is to tell him exactly what you are feeling. And so let your heart imagine that in in this moment with whatever burdens you're carrying. Now, if you'll do that, you're ready for the second step to unburden yourself. And here it is. Picture Jesus sympathizing, sitting beside you. Imagine him feeling with you exactly what you're feeling. And I mean it when I say imagine. Have your eyes closed and however Jesus appears to you in your imagination... Try this. You are right there feeling what you're feeling and picture him sitting down beside you and he's got his hand on his shoulder if for you that makes you feel like he's with you and he is choosing with his divine authority and his human capacity to feel with you exactly what you are feeling. We learn from the scriptures that Jesus can and does this. He can do this and he does it. Employ your mind's eye. Jesus is with you in it. 
You don't have to describe it to him anymore because he walked every difficult road that any one of us will ever have to walk. This is where the doctrine of the incarnation is entirely practical. Every true theological doctrine at its heart is practical. Have faith that Jesus is able to understand because he was tested. And now listen, if you are weeping, Jesus is weeping. If you are angry, Jesus is angry with you. He's choosing that. Despairing, he's there with you in it. He's been there. He never wavered from God's path. As the author of Hebrews says, without sin, he never wavered, even on the path that you're walking on now. And that means that he can help you on that path. You don't need to get onto a different path before he's able to reach you and help you. He can help you right there and he wants to. Take time here and do not rush it. If you're able to do this a little even in this room, wonderful. But my, my advice to you, and here's my pastoral counsel to you. If I could sit with each and every one of you for an hour, I would say this to you as you unfolded your grief. Please take time. Don't rush it. Find a quiet space and each feeling that you are carrying, see Jesus experiencing it with you. Jesus will bear it with you as he lets himself feel it with you and as you are willing to take what he gives you in exchange for those burdens. And now this is the second element of the exchange. And I have two very simple tasks for you on this side. How to receive his yoke. The first thing, as you've felt what you've felt and told him and then pictured in there with you is to ask Jesus to teach you. Do you remember the image of the yoke is is that thing which binds you to him so that you can learn from him, right? Not learn about him, but learn from him. Some of you feel like, I've been learning about Jesus all these years. It hasn't touched me yet. You need to learn from him. And you know, that's a promise that the Holy Spirit, which is Jesus' presence, chooses to abide within us. And some of you have never experienced that yet. God's promise is to be there with you in it. But the Holy Spirit within you is ready for you to take this step, which is to ask Jesus to teach you. And here, I mean, this is very simple. It's of course good to plead for relief, but there are roads that you have to walk down that are unavoidably painful. Do you know that? The only way that you could get relief is if things were different, and they're not. And this is where you need to be mature and discover on that path what Jesus will teach you on that way. Tell me if this is true for you. Sometimes we learn best in the valleys. Does anybody else know that from experience? I hated where I was in those years. I look back and I see God was teaching me and growing me up in a profoundly useful way in the present. I might not have chosen it still. I wasn't mature enough. If you ask me, you want to go through that again to learn? No, absolutely not. (laughs) No, but there it was. And what happened in those days is that thankfully I had wise counsel that said, Christian, in this desert, in this wilderness, ask Jesus to teach you and he will be faithful to show you what you can never learn in those easier times. And that's also the step you should take. Jesus' will to bind you to himself is pragmatic in some sense so that you can learn from him, but you only learn when you're attentive and open to God's subtle and gentle way of teaching. Have you had a teacher who was a bully? 
and threatened and forced you to learn. That is absolutely not what God is like. But he is always ready. But you have to take the step to ask and then wait. After you've taken time to see him feeling with you, ask him that to teach me. And here's how you do it. Ready? You say something like this. And this has to be in prayer, an attentive prayer. What do you want me to learn from this time which I can't learn when things are easy? How do you want me to trust you through the challenges that I'm facing now so I grow? What are you wanting me to learn? Ask that. And then you can ask for his help. You can say, help me be a good student and he'll help you. Pray like this honestly and then expect to learn and be ready to trust your teacher. Now there's one more step and this has to be added in order to really receive what he gives. And this one, it's going to be challenging, but it's realistic and it's this. You've got to learn to wait for Jesus' answer. Is it easy for you to wait? Has it become easier in these last few years to wait? Definitely not. When I order something from Amazon Prime, if it's not there in 25 minutes, I'm, what's happening? Be patient and trust. There is almost nothing better for your character as a human being than to learn patience. I know this for sure. There's nothing better for your relationship with God than to learn trust. And God knows that too. I think it's one of the reasons that God doesn't give us things instantly because God wants us to relate to him with trust rather than to the things we receive instantly or otherwise. Patience and trust are essential skills for the disciple. And if anything happened this summer in our meeting with Jesus, we hope that it's we've grown a little bit as disciples. And so this last bit of guidance here that we come to at the end of our consideration of meeting with Jesus. Wait for Jesus' answer. It's practical, it's realistic, and it is for us maybe the most helpful thing that we can learn. And and here's why, here's why it's good. When Jesus' answer comes, you will receive something good for you. But in the meantime, and he knows the timing which is best, better than we do. In the meantime, we know that the Lord is kind and caring And he will strengthen us. He will give us his strength as we need it. That's his promise. Have you heard this? Those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Does some of you know that passage from Isaiah? They shall mount up with wings like eagles. Isn't that magnificent? This is an aside. Whenever my children and I have conversations like this, if you could be any animal, what would you be? I'm always an eagle because I want to fly. Does anybody else want to do that? The promise is here. You wait for the Lord and you will fly. You, you will, l- listen, you will run and not be weary. Man, that sounds good as I'm training for this marathon. Ugh. You will walk and not grow faint. You can trust this uh, for, for the path that you have to walk right now, that no one else can walk but you. You can trust that you do not walk it alone that Jesus walks it with you and that he walks it as someone who can sympathize with you every step of the way and who is ready to teach you so that you will be his student and grow. And if you're not getting the answer that you want right now, you can wait. He would not ask you to wait if if you couldn't do it. And you can. 
That's a joyful invitation, don't you think? It's a joyful invitation for a time that's sad and challenging, which you can receive, and you're invited right now to receive it, even in the midst of sorrow. Whether you receive it or not is up to you. Uh, look, at, look at the final bit of Jesus' promise in Matthew 11, and I want you to take this to heart in your waiting. This is Matthew 11:30. He says this to you, For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. The promise of this teacher is whatever you end up carrying through this exchange will be manageable because it will be lighter than what you had been carrying before and easier than what you had been struggling with before. And his promise is trustworthy. Accept it. Accept his invitation. Come to him. Give up your burdens and receive his presence as your teacher. Uh, Let me pray that God will help all of us in our hearts and in our spirits do this. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the gift of your word, which is living. We thank you that when we come together attentively and open our hearts and our ears, you are present through the power of your Holy Spirit to teach us, and not only present to teach us now, but present to be with us at every step of the path that we must walk. These times have been challenging for everyone, for us. There are so many burdens that are weighing us down, so many things that have made us weary, so many ways in which we are tired. Certainly, there is an impulse in every one of us to pretend things are otherwise, to run away from what's really happening. We thank you that there is nothing which is too much for you, even if it's too much for us. We thank you also that there is No challenge we face which is unknown to you because somehow you've been remote from it. Rather, you've been tested in every way as we have. And so you can offer us help. Now, in our hearts, we come boldly to the throne of grace and we're asking for mercy to help us in this time of need. As we are strengthened, give us the kind of humility and benevolence to turn toward the people who are around us in this world with the help that comes only from knowing you. Where you've lit a fire in our hearts, let it be a flame that burns brightly and that we bear into the darkness. Where we have been given a good word, let us go with it into the places where there is no truth known and open our tongues and bear witness to the grace and mercy and love of Jesus who is the King. We thank you that you are altogether capable and altogether able to understand because of your divinity and your humanity together. One step at a time, we're asking for your yoke so that we can walk forward as faithful disciples. We thank you for meeting with us this morning. We thank you for meeting with us every time we've gathered in this place. And we pray that we would carry your presence, your spirit in our hearts as we depart. And we ask for all these things in the name of Jesus Amen. Amen, friends.